Welcome back to the Hot Mess to Awesomeness podcast, a show all about inspiring smart, busy women to put their happiness at the top of their to-do list. Join your host and life coach, Dion Thompson, as she chats with amazing women who have figured out how to make their happiness a priority, and more importantly, what it's really like to go from hot mess to awesomeness. And now, on with the show. Recently, I was asked what inspired me to help women end the battle with their inner critic, and it got me thinking. I know that what prompted me to explore my inner critic is because I have a very, feels like complex, almost volatile relationship with mine, Bertha. And after, it feels like years of tearing through her and I, I now know it's my mission to help busy, multi-hat-wearing women to bust through their inner critic's crap and figure out how to make their happiness a priority, especially when facing change and uncertainty. So where did it all start? <laughs> well, I have a long-standing fear of derailment. Now, as far back as I can remember, whenever I wanted anything or, or wanted to try anything, I would, I would inadvertently quit or F it up or, or straight up tell myself that I could never finish. So, so I wouldn't. And I called this my derailment in my mind. I could see myself wanting to go somewhere new, exciting is like a goal, a vision. Um, often it was a place where I know other people had been and, uh, it looked like a really great thing. And and, and every time I would sort of see myself sort of like getting on a train and making my way to go. And that train would run off the track. And what I didn't know was that the thing that was getting in my way, the, the boulder, the obstacle, the whatever you want to call it, things stopping me and causing that trail to go, that train to go, um, was not an outside force. It was not something external, that it was, in fact, me. Now, it's funny. I could finish anything, anything that was asked of me, anything that was of value or importance to someone else, um, especially if that other person um, was someone who I revered or wanted uh, to feel validated by, or um, I wanted to know that they saw me. And I mean, I, I understand now that that was a simple expression of where I put my value and my worthiness, which was, of course, in the hands of other people. Not until, let's see, my fourth bout with burnout and the fortunate meeting I had with a very inspirational human did I begin to explore for the first time ever the possibility of being happy without it involving making someone else happy first. And this is when I had my first identifiable run-in with Bertha. Now, Bertha, again, is the name I gave my inner critic, and she is the voice of all of my beliefs that are driven by fear. So when I decided to take responsibility for my own happiness and connect with my 
itself fully to make myself a priority is when I noticed that Bertha had actually been running the show for years. Up until then, I really didn't take much notice in her. or I, I didn't really kind of, I guess I really didn't see that she was there. I had no conflict with her. And as a result, in the past, when the possibility of doing something for me, just for me, came up, or the chance to really change my life, she made all the decisions. She thought all the thoughts, dictated all the self-sabotaging behaviors. She, she even let me believe that I loved change. <laughs> I, would, I would tell people constantly, I love change. I love spring fever. I love everything about change. You know, throw me into something. It's great. You know, um, I, I used to, every spring, I would change something massive. I would move. I would change jobs. I would change boyfriends. I would do something drastic and then um, really congratulate myself for having um, been one who, who could really handle change. And <clears throat> This isn't actually what was happening. Uh, underlying the surface of these changes, of course, was me controlling what was still happening. And if I didn't actually have control over the situation, Bertha would step in and she would make me believe that it was a terrible idea. Um, it, would be, it wouldn't be beyond me to leave something and then. Um, be fully, fully committed to the fact that that it never was going to happen for me. And I would quit things with confidence, truly believing that whatever it was, was not for me. And I even went so far as to preach how my way um, was truly better anyway. Uh, and looking back, I, I recognize that I alienated quite a few people by doing this. And um, I, I missed the opportunities that were presented to me. I lost friends. And, and more importantly, I, I missed it on the chance to be more of myself. And then when my higher self, who I lovingly refer to as Dion, because I think that's a great name for something that's great. Um, when my higher self wanted to believe in something different is when I realized that the fears fueling Bertha, the fear of not enoughness, not being worthy, unlovable, powerless, or what had been truly dictating my life and, and that I lived through fear. Now, I met Bertha face-to-face -face when I finally hit the breaking point and was willing to believe something different. I, and at the time, I just didn't know where to go from there. <clears throat> and so I explored a lot of things. I did a lot of reading. I, um, I, I questioned a lot. Um, and what I found was the most effective in those early days of battling with Bertha were the teeny tiny things, like the little steps. It, it almost was like she missed them. And it, it's like Bertha or your inner critic has this uh, penchant for attacking the big things, for going after your big goals, your big ideas, and for derailing you completely and knocking you on your ass. And what I noticed was she totally missed when I took little steps, when I just made a small movement, a minuscule, could have only been five minutes of my time. And it would, it would bypass her altogether. And after a few little steps, she'd be 
kind of jarred that, you know, I've made some movement and she would have to recalibrate. And I could just be sort of trucking along. And I think what made the small steps the most impactful was when I took the time every day um, to reflect on those steps that I'd taken on the, uh, and, and think about how they made me feel uh, before, during, and after. And I thought a lot about how powerful those small steps were, um, which in and of itself created a deeper, more powerful ripple effect and would cause her to get sort of discombobulated, which um, was kind of what I was looking for. So in case you're wondering, some of the small steps that I would take um, is I would subscribe to podcasts and then every once in a while, listen to a podcast and just one episode at a time. Um, I, I wouldn't look at it and go, okay, I'm going to binge listen to this entire series. It's going to change my life. It was just one episode at a time. And same thing with books. I would, if I felt an inkling or an interest towards a specific book, I would pick it up and then just read one chapter. Again, not commit to saying I needed to finish this by the end of the weekend. I, it was just about one little snippet. Could have been just a page. Um, and I also started to develop the habit of just creating things every once in a while. Small, tiny, inconsequential things. Uh, I had I had started to explore this idea of art and then me being uh, someone who could create art. And I would make little things, painting, a drawing, I would do some hand lettering uh, for no one else, for no other purpose, other than just to do it, and then it'd be done. And again, these small things were things that she would miss. Um, I also am, was and am a huge fan of inspirational memes. I loved me a good quote. And of course, Facebook and Instagram then and now, um, full and I could scroll through and I would find one that I'd like and I'd read it and I'd sit with it for a second and read it again and, and then it'd be gone. And in that moment, I was able to, you know, take notice, take it in, um, and, and she didn't have the wherewithal or the energy or the time to stop me. And my focus really was on doing little things that felt right, right there in the moment. And the greatest impact I noticed was the shift in my attitude and my energy, which led to some uh, amazing behavioral shifts. Most importantly, <laughs> um, was this idea of, of, of a pause. So I noticed a pause between trigger and response. And I noticed like a breath before I spoke which was a really big deal. I also noticed that my should list, which in the past had been pages and pages, it felt like, that it was getting shorter. Or, or maybe I was just not concerning myself with what was once on there and things were just sort of falling away off this should list. And I, I noticed that I cared more about what I thought of me than what other people may be concerning themselves with. And I realized quickly that I was the one for years who had been derailing my train. I was the one who let fear run my life. And I, as a result, I created Bertha by giving 
permission to my fears to run the show. And she stepped in simply to do the job that I had created for her. And once I stopped blaming everyone else, including Bertha, and decided to live through love first, the fears began to fall away and Bertha, the voice of my beliefs that are driven by fear, began to take a backseat more often. Now, the biggest challenge I faced through this process was building a habit of calling myself out on my own shit, of identifying when I was engaging in old patterns, old disconnection patterns like uh, perfectionism, people-pleasing, leaky boundary. Well, I didn't even really have boundaries. And, and so um, if I noticed that I, I'm allowing myself to get sort of get run through again, then that's a big sign. Um, the imposter syndrome and numbing. Numbing. I could do a whole series on numbing, but that's another thing. We'll talk about that later. And, and then the challenge was to re- get myself to refocus my attention on what I wanted. And I, I had to learn to build the habit of self-compassion and curiosity. Now, I am so grateful for my coaches and my believing mirrors, like the people who believe in me, no matter what, even when I don't. And they would continuously help me to shift my perspective and give me the opportunity to look at and and blast through my limiting beliefs and the courage to believe that my authentic happiness mattered. Now, during these times of of almost universal change and and uncertainty, um, Bertha took it upon herself to jump right back into the driver's seat. Now, our inner critics are triggered by change, the unknown, failure, and success. And to be honest, I I saw her coming. And and for a week or so, I I sort of just sat back and, and let it happen. I mean, I was really tired. And conserving my energy and and recalibrating my thinking started out as really the only thing that I could do. Um, It was a lot of sitting and a lot of just, holy crap. Now, every day I would would reflect on what was going on and and what I was thinking and and what I was learning. And about the four or five week mark, I noticed a, a distinct pattern. And I'm, I'm, really grateful for the awareness that it, it has given me because it reminded me that I have been here before. <laughs> I have faced challenges that at first glance seem um, insurmountable or unprecedented and that my fears of not being enough or not worthy or not lovable um, and in the end being powerless to regain my my happiness again, that all kicked back in and, and, and Bertha did regain some strength. And maybe this sounds familiar, but I, I wanted to share what I had gone through and what specifically I had been doing and looking back and seeing how Bertha was showing up. So when this first all happened and, you know, we were told this is, this is the deal and you stay in your homes, I... I got a little uh, organizationally insane. Um, did the big clean sweep, and I organized like crazy. I, I 
closets, rooms, furniture, groceries, um, batch cooking. I, I prepared feverishly, almost like I was nesting, like preparing for a child. And I, I put people and things in order. I mean, I was ready, ready to, to manage, to handle, to weather this storm of uncertainty. And the, it, as it was happening, there was sort of this underlying feeling that um, I was, you know, batten down the hatches and, and do all the things that you can do so that I can continue to do all the things that I normally do. It was, there was this sort of pretense that it was going to be short-lived and we just had to power through and, 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 and make it all work. And that, you know, sooner than later, we would be going back to everything as it was. Now, the realization <laughs> that nothing was going to be the same again, um, that hit, you know, about after a week. And <laughs> this is really when Bertha stepped in and took control. She, <laughs> she ran around shutting down everything like everything I had going on, all the thoughts, all the thinking, all the doing, just full stop. And I recognize, I mean, the fears really took over. I had no idea who I was anymore. I didn't know what I was going to be doing next. I didn't know who I would be talking to. I didn't know if I could handle what was coming. I didn't know if I was going to lose my business. I didn't know if my marriage was in trouble. I mean, my mother-in-law lives here. I didn't know what was going to happen there. I didn't know if I could handle having my kids home all the time. It felt like every hat that I wear went under scrutiny, like went under the gun. Mom, boss, wife, homemaker, daughter, everything. The list goes on. But everything felt like it was being questioned. And it, it rattled me. Huge. And I... When Bertha was in full on in the driver's seat and I was in the back just sort of trying to lick my wounds, if, if you will, um, I, I wasn't sure how to move forward. And it wasn't until I realized that I was battling Bertha and that this was happening that I, you know, till I sort of stepped in and went, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. Um, that battle re revived itself, I guess, I guess you could say, um, because I became very aware of limiting belief that I have allowed to exist under the radar and sort of in my unconscious um, forever. And yes, I have made great strides in making myself and my happiness a priority. I've, I've created a business that I love, boundaries that I love. And I, I quickly realized that when all my roles, all my hats came crashing onto each other, and covered a belief that I, I truly feel many women are running up against or have run up against during this time. And that is that each role ha that we have has a very distinct set of criteria. And by checking off those criteria daily, I repeatedly qualify or prove to myself that. I am that thing. So, okay, there's the mom criteria. I, every day I check off all the things that I am required to do to be a mom. And yep, 
I am still a mom. Great. Same thing for every role that I have. You just continuously checking off this criteria and then using that criteria to, to validate or to um, prove that I am that thing. And I realized when, when all my worlds collided that I had created a life that was serving the criteria instead of serving a life that was about me, about Dion, like a whole person. And when all my roles landed on top of each other, Bertha was quick to remind me, as she's the voice of all my beliefs driven by fear, that I was not good enough in any of my roles and that I was actually kind of sucking all around. And she allowed me to think or put it in my head that no matter what I decided moving forward, I would not ever be enough. That sucked. I mean, she, her role has always been driven by the core value of um, safety. And she's been trying to keep me small and she kind of had free reign here. And when I heard that, I'm, I'm, feel grateful that I became very aware, almost like a, an out-of-body experience where I was like, that's not true. I know better than that. So I did the one thing that I, I, I did earlier in my life when I didn't know what I was doing, where I was going, or how to make it work. I went back to my roots. I went back to compassion and being curious about my thoughts and behavior. So I went back to taking the teeny tiny steps that felt right and went back to reflecting on how those actions felt and um, thought about what it's like to make my happiness a priority. And I, I thought about how I felt before, during, and, and, and after um, doing these small things and and I, I sort of just felt into the next right thing. And, and I regained some footing. Um, and I noticed new beliefs arising around my roles and my, how I identify myself and how I see boundaries. And I've decided to choose resilience over resistance and the voice of my beliefs, the, the, the new voice, if you will, and, and maybe it's because I'm a lover of music, maybe this is just me, but the voice of my new beliefs literally felt like they were singing over top of Bertha's screams. Now, for me, I guess my advice or my, my insight here is that the number one way to silence your inner critic is to focus on what you do want and create language that aligns with your happiness and, and then gather the evidence, the experiences, the emotions that reflect your authentic happiness back to you. The, the simple act of, of reflecting on what you want more of literally reinforces and strengthens the area in your brain where your new belief lives. Like the, you know, you run this new thought and it's teeny and it's tiny and it's small, but then you reinforce it by thinking about it again and, and re-engaging with that good feeling and, and attaching that good feeling to, um, you know, the other, the impact that, that this action is taking. And it, it takes some time, but 
over time, it becomes a stronger place, a, a, a bigger place in your brain and more easily run as a thought. And because your body is a great conserver of energy, it's looking at those old thoughts and those old patterns and it's like, I'm not using those anymore. So where it once had been strong and fortified oh, from years and years and years of thinking the same thing, thoughts over again, um, and running these sort of limiting beliefs, it starts to literally fall apart. The, the connections start to break and, and it actually would become hard to think those old thoughts and to re-engage with those old patterns. What, what, what actually makes this easier than fighting or ignoring your inner critic is that you're dealing with the root cause of the problem, um, not battling like a symptom. Remember, Ver Bertha or your inner critic is the voice of beliefs that are controlled by fear. And, and your job is to replace those beliefs with ones founded in love and and, and the voice of your new beliefs, your voice, will always be powerful enough to keep your Bertha at bay. Thank you. <laughs> now, if you're interested in getting your hands on some of the reflective questions that I use regularly, then please feel free to download um, your copy of The Guide to Being F and Happy. And inside that, um, you'll walk through a self-assessment on sort of how much of a hot mess you are or you're feeling like you are in the moment. And, uh, and then I'll walk you through uh, some of the um, strategies that your inner critic may be using and then ways to bust through that. So uh, some great stuff there. So feel free to download that. Um, and it's been my absolute pleasure to be here with you today and uh, to share with you my story about Bertha and my inner critic and, and what uh, ending that battle is really like. And if you want to chat a little bit more about that, then by all means, book your discovery call and we'll chat soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Join Dion again next week to learn more about what you can do to go from hot mess to awesomeness.